Well, good morning, Mosaic. I'm so honored to be here and be back on Mosaic stage. It's, it's so great to be here. I, I miss y'all. I gotta tell you the truth, I miss everybody. And so Naeem texted me recently. He said, hey, would you, would you speak during the I Feel series? Well, I'm a psychotherapist, so I felt like that was really appropriate um, series for me. So I said, yeah, I'm willing to do that. And he said, well, here's some examples. He said, I'm going to do I feel grateful, I feel overwhelmed. So what would you want to do it on? So I said, I, I really want to talk about the autonomic nervous system and the parasympathetic and sympathetic branches within the autonomic nervous system. And he said, I feel confused which is a really good adjective for this year anyway, but I get what I said was confusing. So I, I need some leeway, y'all. I need y'all to help me. I've got to confess something. I'm, I'm a neuro-nerd. I am. I love neuroscience. And so this is, but this is why. Because when I study neuroscience, I actually get to learn about how God created us, who he is and who he says that we are. So my actual answer to Naeem, what I said was, when I said autonomic, just so you know, again, give me three minutes. Give me three minutes to be a nerd about this, and then I will stop talking about it. So here's the thing. So your autonomic nervous system, that has to do, it's your longest nerve in your whole body. You're talking brainstem, you're talking spinal cord, digestive system, respiratory, everything's connected. And within that, you have something called parasympathetic. Within that is your ventral vagal. I know, y'all just stay with me. It's your ventral vagal. This is important to know about because that is your internal heaven. That is where you experience God's presence and closeness and connection to God, to yourself, and to other people. And then there's a sympathetic. Your sympathetic has to do with your trauma responses. And that's about disconnection. So actually, when I answered Naeem, I answered appropriately. What I said was, I want to talk about, I feel disconnected. And I don't think I'm the only one. See, this, this pandemic's been going on too long. When it first started, I thought four to six weeks. Y'all, we are five months into this. And it's got catastrophic results. I mean, Things are devastating for certain people. You know, there are some of you within our Mosaic family that we just love, and you've, you've lost loved ones. Not only have you lost loved ones, you, you can't give them the proper home going, the, the final arrangements that you thought you'd be able to give them. Other people have shared with me that they have loved ones in nursing homes, and they can't get to them. They have to talk to them through a window. Weddings have been canceled. People have told me that that they, they hate their coworkers, but they actually miss having lunch with their coworkers because we're disconnected. People have been really honest with me and told me that they feel disconnected from God, from the church, their family, and from themselves. See, we are at our best when we are connected. And right now, we just can't do that in the level that we need to be doing it. So your ventral vagal, again, just give me a second, your ventral vagal is also called your social engagement system. We are meant, God created us to be socially engaged. We're meant to be socially 
engaged. And we're in time that we're having to physically distance. And Mosaic behind the scenes has been doing so much to try to figure out how do we navigate this and still connect to each other because we feel so disconnected. Like there's been so much effort towards that. We had a social six to eight weeks ago and did what we could could to gather with each other. And, And we're trying to do more than that, but we're having to be so careful with everything that's happened right now. But I can promise you when we do have a social, outside of you, it's going to involve two things. Food and a table. See, there's something about us getting together and getting around a picnic table or some type of table, getting together, being together and eating and catching up with each other and asking each other questions about each other's lives. I mean, that's special. See, I I think the table is significant. It's a place of connection. And I actually think it's very spiritual. Like when I read my Bible, I, I, there's so many stories of people who invited Jesus and the disciples in. And I can just imagine they gathered around the table. And, and they just told stories and spent time together. I can, I can imagine that Peter kept saying, hey, Jesus, tell, tell the story about how you got everybody drunk at the wedding again. All right? Like, they just gathered around and connected to each other. And think about the last supper. Think about the, con- the connection there, the power of what happened at that table. See, at all seasons of our lives, we are at some table needing to connect to each other. It doesn't matter if you're at the kids' table, the family table, the school cafeteria table, the boardroom, the work table, or the church family table at every season, the table is significant for you because the people around the table at that time in your life, they are significant. This is actually where a lot of us learn how to be safe in our connection. And this is why for a couple months I've wanted to talk to you all about parasympathetic and sympathetic, and just so we can have an understanding. Because some of you are in ventral vagal during this pandemic. You're, you're doing great. You're, you're fine. You're feeling connected. You're at your best. But a lot of us, really, most of us are actually in sympathetic. We're having some trauma responses to what we're all going through. And that means that we are being disconnected. It means that we're, we're struggling. See, some, some of us are... are really in this disconnection, and whether it's you doing it or you're watching someone else and you care about doing it, some people are, are just fighting. They're just struggling. They're, they're being defensive. They're not listening. They're being accusatory toward other people. Like, there's high anxiety for them. Other people are, are, are really, they're just ready to flee. Like, they are ready to leave. They're threatening to leave the church. They're threatening to leave their families, their job, because they feel so powerless and out of control. They just want to control something. And other people, other people are watching all this chaos, all this disconnection. They're just trying to please everybody. They're trying to calm all this down and appease everyone. And still some of us, Some of us are in this category that we are shutting down. That we're so overwhelmed that we look under 
overwhelmed. When we feel safe, we are able to connect. But we're experiencing the opposite, and the opposite of safe for this conversation is fear. When we experience fear, we go into a fear-activated disconnection. You know, recently, Naeem did an amazing sermon about fear, and the Bible talks so much about fear and how to confront it. There's one scripture that I just love. It just resonates with me about fear, and that's Deuteronomy 31, 8. And it says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. See, I think this resonates for so many reasons. One inside of that is our biggest fear. For most of us, it holds the biggest fear that we have, and that is we fear being abandoned. Forsaken means to be abandoned. And what that means is that we have so much fear that someone's not going to like us, that someone's going to be against us or not approve of us, be disconnected or reject us, that somehow someone's not going to get us, and that means that we are so much fear of being abandoned. You know, I've been a psychotherapist for over two decades in private practice, and one question I ask a lot of times in the beginning of getting to know a patient, and it's very revealing, I'll ask them, in your family growing up, what was it like at dinner time? See, the people at this table around you at any time, but particularly as a child, your parents, step-parents, foster parents, grandparents, your siblings. And in time, your peers, your friends, co-workers, spouse, church family, that the people sitting around this table, they are the people that are significant in trying to teach you how to connect but what happens to so many of us is that there's a rupture in that connection. So this is what happens at the table. There are two seats. There's, there's this seat. This is the seat of connection. This is your ventral vagal. Problems I'm going to ship about that. But this is your ventral vagal. This is your internal heaven. When we're here, we know we have choices. We can stay in conversation. We can actually disagree with someone without detaching from ourselves or from them. This is humor. This is empathy. This is the seat of grace and mercy. And as we sit around this table, at any time, any season of our life, if someone we're connected to, if there's a rupture in that connection, there's a disconnection, we leave here. We come over here to the seat of disconnection. See, trauma means disconnection. And so when we have a response to that disconnection, we will, we will move away because we don't feel safe. And if there's repair, if there's not a lot of time lag between what got said, and it might be that someone at the table overlooked you. It might be that a parent was supposed to come to an event and they didn't come. It might be that a, a sibling got favored over you. Or it could be even worse. It could have been a violence in your home. You didn't feel safe in any type of connection. But when some rupture happens and there's no 
repair to that rupture, we will come sit right here in the seat of disconnection. But here's the thing. If I sit here long enough, disconnected from the people that are significant to me, if I stay here too long, I'll get comfortable. And this disconnection will now become my way of how I navigate through the world. And that comfort, I'll think is safety. If I stay here too long in disconnection, my trauma response will become what we call a habitual survival response. When fear bursts trauma and there's no repair, there's no reconnection with that person, that means that our trauma response becomes an habitual survival response. So we've been in this pandemic for a long time, and we don't know when this is going to end. My concern is that some of us are sitting here out of our pain, out of all the events of what's happening, and that we don't even know that we're here. So I want us to go to God's Word. How do we get back to this table? How do we connect and reconnect? And as a church soon starts to reopen and life starts to go back to some normalcy, how can we come back to this table, a table of believers, a table of connection, and sit there instead of sitting in disconnection? So to do that, we need to go to God's Word. So I'm going to go to Romans 14. This is Romans 14.1, and this is the message version. And you all know I don't normally just read directly from the Bible, but this is so good. I don't want to mess it up. I just have read this over and over, and I love, I love this whole chapter. So if you have time, dive into this. Read all of Romans 14. This is the message version. But let me read certain segments of this to you. Welcome with open arms, other believers who don't see things the way that you do. It says that. And don't jump all over them every time they say or do something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they're strong opinions, that they're strong in opinions, but they're weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with, treat them gently. And it goes on. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that they can eat anything at the table, while another with a different background might assume they should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they failed to criticize them what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited both of them to, to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. And he goes on to talk about that who are we to criticize our brother? Who are we to condescend to our sister? Because when we do that, they can't connect to us. Romans 14, 19 talks about that we are to use our 
energy actually helping each other and not dragging each other down. So I want to focus on the last paragraph as well, and this is Romans 22 through 23. Cultivate your own relationship with God and don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you're acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. It's a powerful, powerful word. I want to focus on the last two sentences in Romans 14.1 and then that last paragraph so that we can get a better understanding. Because it reads, remember, they have their own history to deal with, meaning they haven't yet. So treat them with gently, which means grace and mercy. Treat them with grace and mercy. I'll tell you my experience. The only way I am able to see you and see that maybe you haven't dealt with your history. Maybe there's some things you haven't faced yet, and that's why you're at the table with a strong opinion. The only way I can hear what you're saying and not personalize it is if I've dealt with my own history, if I've put grace towards my own history, and then I don't have to overly attach to what you're saying or doing. And I can trust God will be able to be the one that can help you and correct you. So as we talk about how do you explore your own history, and then go into that last powerful paragraph, Romans 14, 22 through 23, it tells us cultivate your own relationship with God. I mean, like, work on your history, work on your pain, Take that to him. And then to look at why would my beliefs and my behavior not line up? And it goes back to what I said a little bit earlier, and this is so important in our histories, is what is the rupture? See, if your beliefs and your behavior are incoherent, as the Bible says, if they are incongruent, they don't match up, and there's something in your history, there's a hurt, there's a rupture, there's a pain in your history, that has not had love and grace and mercy brought to it yet. So I can tell you that I believe that I am worthy of God's love, but if my behavior is inconsistent with that, it means some other belief is driving me in producing the behavior. So if there's a rupture, again, a disconnection between you and someone important in your life, someone hurt you, and it happens to all of us, that if someone has hurt you and there's a rupture and it has not been repaired, in the interim, while you're waiting for that repair and waiting for that reconnection, if we don't have this repair, we have this rupture, we will put behavior all inside of this void. We will fill that emptiness with behavior. Because see, when that rupture came in, I started believing something beyond what I consciously am telling you I believe. When that thing happened to me by someone who sat at this table that's significant, that is when shame came in and I started believing that I wasn't worthy. So I might say that I am, but my behavior shows that I'm still hurt and there hasn't been a repair, there hasn't been a reconnection. 
So if we're going to be able to understand this and know what do we do, because this behavior we put in, some of it's obvious, right? So we, we know about alcoholism. We know drug addiction is behavior. We know porn addiction, gambling, eating disorders. We know that's behavior that's showing that there's a great deal of pain in somebody. But there's other behavior. There's other things. Habitual survival responses that I think right now, for us to be able to honor his word, might be important to know about. So let me tell you about the four Fs. And those are the four trauma responses. And these, they are fight, flight, fawn, and freeze. I'm going to go through each one. But please hear me. You will not spend every day of your life in the connection chair. Things will happen that will cause you to come and be in the chair of disconnection. You, there are times that being in fight mode is okay. There's other times we're there and we don't even know we're there. So I want to talk about when it's a fear-activated disconnection. So fight, when someone goes into a fight mode, that means that they are having a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anger. They are sensing danger. As a child, what that looks like, it could be the kid that's bullying everybody. As an adult, it can be the person who is very defensive, can't look at their own part very quickly. You, you've seen it on Facebook. You've seen conversation with persons not interested in what you have to say. They're just defensive. They're just defending their own position. They're not looking to connect. They're just protecting what they already think and know. That's a fight response. The second is called flight, also called flee. What that looks like as a child. For some of you, you heard your mom or dad's car pull up. And you knew for your own safety, you had to go to your room and close the door. Or you had to go outside. You just had to leave. This, when people are in flight, this is panic. This is also be you're overthinking what someone thinks about you. You're so concerned that they're going to end the relationship because of your fear of abandonment that you'll just leave it first. People are really struggling in this right now. People are leaving the church. People are walking away from jobs they've had for, for decades because they, they just don't know how to control and regulate what's going on with them. That's flight. There's also fawn. This one's really, really important. So, so the definition of fawn is that I am going to do something to try to please you so that I can feel safe. As a child, it looks like the child who goes and cleans the kitchen because she or he believes if they do that, that maybe mommy and daddy won't fight. It's a child who might try to get straight A's because they believe that that's the way to bring happiness into the family. That they're having to do things to please people in the family so that they can actually feel safe. As an adult, it looks like the woman who comes to she community and brings brand new tablecloths for every table as they set up for the event who brings so much food that other women have to just put their food away in the refrigerator that she takes care of everything. And she makes sure that everybody has a good time, but she doesn't feel connected. She just produces. As an adult, we call it codependency. But what it really is, is a trauma response of people trying to please so that they can feel okay. The fourth, the fourth is called freeze. This can look like disassociation. This can look like shutdown. 
right now, what it looks like for a lot of people that they are so overwhelmed, particularly with homeschooling and, and being safe, that people are getting so overwhelmed that they are shutting down and they look very underwhelmed. Another way of looking at this is this is like being in your car and your car's in park, but you got your foot on the gas. Cortisol is flying all through your body, but you're looking very calm and almost mechanical as you move through all of this. This can also be having to be in bed for days because you just don't know how to feel safe and get out. This can be for people who are having a hard time right now eating or sleeping because their system is just freezing and shutting down. This is where a lot of us, because the times right now are so difficult, are ending up that we're struggling to know how to be connected in our fear of abandonment. It's just abundant and has gone wild. So it's important that we learn how do we get to the seat of connection. But I want to explain something to you first. I want to tell you something really, really personal. So you know a lot of you that for my family, there's been a lot of, a lot of disconnection for me. And that my mother rejected me at a fairly young age, but that God has redeemed that. It is reconciled. So this story is not about her. But just know I have fought to get to the table at my family's house, be able to sit there and feel connected and be able to experience that internal heaven and feel like I'm a part of them. Well, something's happened last year that I want to share with you. And so this year, 2020, has been hard for all of us, I know. But 2019 wasn't great. For a lot of us, we lost someone very important and someone very beautiful last year. Last year, on May 30th, we lost Claudia Clayton to mental illness. And so that affected the Clayton family, the Grant family, the whole Mosaic family, ICU Talks family, CrossFit family. So many people loved her and adored Claudia. And so when that happened, Mosaic and ICU Talks came together and we worked really hard. See, my mission is to end the stigma against mental health. And so I, after losing Claudia, just fought harder. And, and Mosaic and I, Naeem and I got together. We did workshops. We met people individually. We did numerous workshops for the community. We did so many things. We had a, we had a race to honor Claudia and for anyone who is fighting the good fight against mental health and mental illness and addiction. And so in that time, there's somebody in my life that's been at this table with me since the day I was born. But he doesn't know me, and honestly, I don't know him real well either. But we've always known each other. He's a family member. And last year, after all this happened, and, and I was working so hard to do what I could to help this community, help all of us to deal with the loss of Claudia and continue to fight against the stigma against people speaking openly about mental illness. Well, I'd gone to bed, and someone started reading my, ringing my doorbell incessantly. So I checked my camera, and it was a police officer. So I didn't know exactly what's happened, but with going through so much tragedy, I assumed that something had happened to a family member. And so I got out of bed, and I went to the door. And this police officer here informed me at that time that this family member that I'm telling you about, who I've known all my life but doesn't know me real well, who I hadn't talked to in months, out of nowhere, called 911 and told them I was going to take my life. And so the police are now at my door, 
and now I, Kim Honeycutt, as a psychotherapist, have to convince a police officer that I am medic medically and mentally well enough to not be supervised and for him to be able to leave. I can't explain to you how much of a rupture in that relationship that was and how difficult it was for me to understand what had just happened. But I had to find a way. I had to find a way because I'm telling you, I'm not willing to not come to this table of connection. I'm not willing to not be at this table of my family. I'm not willing to not be at the table of my church or anywhere else. I knew I had to find a way to be able to get back to that table and to be a part of my parents' life. So I came up with four things, and I call it Connect Four, just to make it a little bit easier to explain. So I want to throw this out to you, help you know how I got back to this table of connection after uh, for me, a very difficult rupture, a very difficult disconnection, and so that we can all apply this information to whatever area of our lives we need so we can get back into the seat of connection. The first part of Connect Forward that's really important is we have to get current. We have to be able to go into our history and figure out what is going on. Because here's the thing. Your history will not be your history until you treat it with grace. Until you treat it gently, your history can't really be your history. And what that means, without us doing the work and figuring out what it is so we can actually be current, it means the things that happen to you at the kids' table may be what you are recreating at the adult table today. The things that are happening to you today with your spouse and coworkers and other people may be feeling the exact same of what happened at this table when you were a kid, but it might not be the same. When we're able to safely explore our history and get current, it means that things that upset us today are just about today. There's great godly freedom, be able to do the work to get there. The second thing that's really important to connect is to connect. And by that, I mean we have to know how to reconnect. We have to know how to be able to have that rupture, to have that pain that is there, and, and start bringing in the repair. So when there is a repair that happens and we are able to reconnect, then that part of our life gets resurrected. And in Deuteronomy 31.8, we're so grateful that God won't leave us or forsake us. I think it's important we go look at our history and the rupture and make sure when that happened to us, whatever it is, that we didn't leave ourselves. We didn't start abandoning ourselves. We have to reconnect to who he says we are so that our beliefs when we say i believe that who god says i am that when i say that that's really my belief and my behavior will match that and it will be coherent and it will be congruent the third thing is so important for us to do is called co-regulate see this this chair this chair is a chair of disconnection which means it's your emotions that are very dysregulated. 
And so if I'm going to be able to get a chance to come back over here, because I am going to go over there, it will happen no matter how much I read my Bible, how much I pray, how much therapy I do, at some point, I'm going to travel back over there. But I've got to have somebody who's my co-regulator, that person, that person that brings Romans 14, 19 to life, that person who's your encourager, the person that tells you you don't have to be afraid, that they're going to help you figure out whatever's going on so that your beliefs and your behaviors match and that your history can then be your history and you can be in this seat and experience God's presence. We need at least one person. And I'm so grateful to have so many of the for Kristen to be in my life and Ashley and Jennifer and Jenny and Danielle, so many people, because guess what? There are times that I'm over here in this chair and I reach out to one of them and they're over here too. And I need to know I have enough people of a team, a table of believers, a group of people who will help me regulate, co-regulate with me so I can come back over here. So we have to get current. We have to connect and reconnect and have that co-regulator to help us get to this chair. And the fourth is that you are a co-heir with Jesus. Romans 8, 17 tells us, now you are God's children, which means you're God's heir. And that means that you get to sit here, that you get to be a co-heir with Christ, and it means that you will suffer with him, but that means you will also bring glory to the kingdom with him. See, when I sit in this chair of disconnection, when I stay there, I will suffer, but it will be repetitious suffering, and it won't have purpose. This chair, when I know when I'm connected and I'm at a table of believers, that means that the suffering has happened even in this crazy, horrible pandemic, that even that there can be purpose and we can actually still connect to each other and not believe the lies of the enemy that tell us that our work, that what we are to believe is that that's the most, that chair right there is the most that we deserve. We are called to be here because in this chair when I sit here this is where I know he will never leave me he will never forsake me I don't have to be afraid I don't have to fear abandonment because he will encourage me and he will bring me to a table of believers a people who will connect me to a spiritual encouragement here's the good news if you're listening to this I want you to know you're, you're at the right table. You just might be in the wrong seat. But you're at a table of believers. And if you are a co-heir with Christ, if you are that person that's bringing Hebrews 4 into life, knowing that, that Christ was tested and did not sin, and that all the pain, all the disconnection, that we get to take that to the throne of God and receive, in this chair, I can receive. As a co-heir, I receive the grace and mercy from God that lets my beliefs and my behavior be coherent and congruent. Because when I have that power, when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, His power lives inside me. It means I tap into His confidence, His strength, 
And that means as we reopen the church, as people start going back to work, whatever it is, as you're at home doing the best you can with your kids, what that means is when you get to the next table, even if it's at work or somewhere else, and no one at that table is a believer, the minute you sit down, that table is a table of believers because you are the co-heir of Jesus. We come to a part where we get to respond. And I'm going to pray for you. And if this is a message that you've heard and you've realized that you want to get out of that chair and you want to be a co-heir with Jesus, and you've never, never been able to say to Jesus, I want to live a life with you. I'm going to ask that you look on your screen and there's a place where you can raise your hand. And that is signifying to God that he's now going to be the significant one in your life that he will now be the one that repairs and resurrects the things that you've been through at the table when you got disconnected. And if you're already at the table, believers, and you're ready to recommit, then raise your hand as well. But as after I pray and we go into the worship song, no matter where you are, worship, like it's the last song you ever get to worship to. Worship in a way that lets you know that you, you are privileged to be able to sit at the table of believers and sit in the chair of connection. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that your word is true, Lord. I thank you that we don't have to be in a fight with people who have strong opinions. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that we don't have to be the person trying to please everyone else, Lord. That we're called to please you. I thank you that your word is true, that you will not leave us, nor will you forsake us, Lord. Help us, even in this time of being distant from each other, help us to not be distant from you, Lord. Help us know this is not a time to leave you. This is not a time to leave ourselves. This is not a time to leave the things that actually bring us closer to you, Lord. Give us that clarity that can only come from you, Father God. Help us to trust our next step by first getting to our knees and praying to you. Lord, I pray for resurrection and, and restoration to all those who are struggling with their physical health, who have outside circumstances in this, Lord, that are just overwhelming. Or will you bring a calmness to that? Will you bring a connection to them, Lord? And Father, help us to know that wherever we go, that we get to sit at the table of believers and be connected to you because you sent your son to live for us, to die, Father, to be resurrected so that we can stand here today, no matter what the rupture is, repaired and resurrected in his name. I pray all this, all these things, in the life-giving, the life-changing name of Jesus. Amen.